Hello, this is Maxim Saikian, and welcome to the first ever episode of Uncovering Roots, where we tell stories that are often overlooked. This isn't just a podcast, it's a journey into the lesser known narratives that deserve to be heard. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give you a heads up. We'll be sharing the remarkable story of an Armenian genocide survivor. A woman who endured unimaginable hardship, including experiences of sexual assault and other deeply disturbing events. This episode will mention the genocide, sexual assault, violence and trauma. If you feel that these themes might be too distressing, please feel free to skip this episode or listen to it at a time when you feel more ready. The story of Arshalus Mardigian, also known as Aurora Mardiganian, is a sad but fascinating one. For the past year, I've been looking into a person who many thought didn't actually exist. A fictional character which represented the horrific events which happened during the Armenian Genocide. But this woman was real. She was a girl who went through the genocide at just the age of 14, who was made to march for hundreds of miles and saw the most awful things. Two years later, she managed to escape to America. There she met Henry Gates, where she told her story, which got made into a book and then a Hollywood film. She became a star for a couple of years, but her life and story quickly got forgotten. Before we tell her story, we need to talk first about the Armenian Genocide, an event that not many people surprisingly know about especially in the United Kingdom, where very few of the Armenian diaspora live. The United Kingdom still does not recognise the Armenian Genocide. Even the people of Britain barely know of the country, Armenia. For the British Armenians listening to this, I'm sure we've attempted to spell our surnames and we've gotten a look like we've misspelled our name, or the feeling you get when someone says, they do know your country, till they say, Albania, a couple minutes after. The Armenian Genocide was a campaign of extermination and forced displacement carried out by the Ottoman Empire against the Armenian population during World War I. The Ottoman government, under the leadership of the Committee of Union and Progress, also known as the Young Turks, viewed the Armenian minority as a threat to the stability of the Ottoman Empire and sought to eliminate them. The genocide began on April 24, 1915 when Ottoman authorities arrested and executed over 200 Armenian intellectuals and community leaders in the capital city of Istanbul. This event, known as the Red Sunday or Bloody Easter, marked the beginning of a systematic campaign of extermination and forced displacement carried out by the Ottoman Empire against the Armenian population. Over the next several years, Ottoman authorities deported hundreds of thousands of Armenians from their homes often forcing them to march for days without food or water. They were subjected to brutal and inhumane treatment at the hands of their captors. 
Pregnant women were forced to give birth on the side of the road with no medical care or assistance. Many were raped and tortured, and children were often separated from their families and taken away to be raised as Muslims. The death toll was staggering. It's estimated that between 1 and 1.5 million Armenians were killed during the genocide. The surviving Armenian population was scattered across the world, with many forced into refugee camps in neighbouring countries. The University of Minnesota's Center for Holocaust and Genocide Studies has documented the genocide extensively. According to their research, approximately 800,000 Armenians were killed in 1915 alone. By the time the genocide ended in 1923, an estimated 1.5 million Armenians had been killed. However, some estimates placed the number even higher, at around 2 million. In 1914, one-third of Turkey's population was Christian. Today, the percentage is 0.1 percent. On the 24th of April 1915, marked the beginning of the Ottoman government's systematic removal of the Armenian minority from their historic homeland. Now, the term genocide didn't actually exist until 1947. When newspapers reported the genocide, many called it the Armenian Massacres. The word genocide was coined by Raphael Lemkin and used the Armenian genocide as a reasoning for why a word for these types of massacres needs to exist. I spoke to Dr. Steve Jacobs at the University of Alabama, an American historian specializing in genocide and Holocaust studies. Now, Lemkin was a complicated person. He was a Polish Jewish lawyer who fled the Nazis. Uh, once they invaded Poland, after initially being part of their resistance, he was able to survive. One of his brothers and his brother's family survived. Most of his family did not. Made his way to the United States, taught law at Duke and Yale universities, worked for the federal government, was an unpaid advisor to justice at the Nuremberg trials, and Parenthesis, I would note that he actually got his word genocide into the records of the Nuremberg trials 17 times, but it never appeared as one of the charges against the Nazi hierarchy. Let's not forget about Adolf Hitler's speech a week before the German invasion of Poland in 1939, where he ended his speech with, who, after all, speaks today of the annihilation of the Armenians. My own assessment is that the, the tragedy of the Armenian genocide was among the primary motivators of his thinking. Now, if to the degree to which his autobiography is accurate, he suggested that it really began with him reading a book by the Polish Nobel laureate, Henryk Sienkiewicz, called Quo Vadis, which is the, the novelized writing of Nero's destruction of the Christians. And then when he went to his mother to say, well, why didn't the police help? Sometime during his teenage years, we don't know fully when, her response is, what do you expect from the police? Which is, I think, a commentary on the life they lived in Poland at the time. He argues that it was that moment that began his own journey into history. And among the things he discovered 
was the Armenian Genocide, which I think did loom large in, in his thinking. I was privileged to publish what has come down to it as the only chapters we have of what was to be his magnum opus, uh, which I've titled Lemkin on Genocide. It was to be a three-volume history of evidences of genocide in the ancient world, the middle period, and the modern world. Most of the chapters were never written. Among his more than 20,000 pages is a separate manuscript about 115, 116 pages just on the Armenian Genocide itself, though unpublished. The Armenian Genocide appears, so no question. It was a primary motivator and energizer. There, there is no question of that. As Lemkin once said, by genocide, we mean the destruction of a nation or of an ethnic group. Archelous' story exemplifies the horrific consequences of genocide and the toll it takes on individuals and communities. By recognising the experiences of survivors, we can begin to grapple with the devastating implications of genocide and work towards preventing such atrocities from happening again. Now, let's turn our attention to the story of Archelous Martigian, the reason you're listening to this podcast. We have Abby Zakarian narrating the first part of her story, where she spent two harrowing years in captivity. January 21, 1901. Arshalus Madigian was born in Chemsgadzak, a small town in western Armenia. Her first name means Light of the Early Morning. Arshalus lived with her parents and seven siblings, Ovan, Sara, Arusiak, Martiros, Pohos, Lucine, while her eldest brother, Vahan, lived in America. The Mardigian family were well off and lived a comfortable life and were well respected within their community. But in 1915, the life of every Armenian was about to be shattered by a sudden and unthinkable horror, the orchestrated genocide of a people. As the war grew ever closer to these small towns of Western Armenia, the Mardigians were visited one night by a Kurdish shepherd who warned them of approaching danger. Despite this warning, Arshalus's father was reluctant to leave, worried that fleeing would justify the Ottomans in punishing other Armenians. Arshalus remembers him stating, If I run, I'd be a coward. If I must die, I'll die in my own home but the coming danger arrived quicker than they could prepare for, and within a few days the Ottoman soldiers had taken over the small town, ordering all men over the age of 18 to assemble in the public square. Arshalus and her siblings embraced their father, hugging him for what they hoped wasn't the last time. As he left the house, her brother Pohos followed their father at a distance just to be near him. Pohos was spotted by the soldiers, and ordered to line up along with the rest of the Armenian men. They never returned from the town square. The following morning, the soldiers had placed posters all over the town with an order for all the Armenian women to be ready to leave their home in three days. 
As the soldiers patrolled the streets during these three days, Archelous was one day spotted by a soldier and stopped. He demanded she go with him. All you pretty Christian girls must give themselves to Turks or be killed, he told her. Archelous never forgot the look on his face when he said these words. She fought to get away from him and managed to break free, running home, but understanding for the first time what it would mean to be held against her will. As the days followed, every home was raided and the soldiers took everything they could find. Cutlery, crockery, even vases were taken so the women had nothing to fight back with. When the three days had passed and the Armenian women began to assemble in the town square, Archelous's mother told her and her sister Lucine to go to Miss Graham, an Englishwoman who had come to their town from the American college in Mersovan in order to teach orphaned Armenian girls. The Ottomans seemed to respect her, and Archelous's mother thought she would be safe with her. They decided to go to the orphanage at night, but as they approached they saw to their horror an Ottoman policeman restraining and carrying Miss Graham away. The soldiers had gone to the school to take the Armenian girls, and Miss Graham had tried to fight them, but they took her too. Frightened, Lucine and Archelous debated whether they should go to the town square and join their mother or hide. Deciding to hide, they crept through the side streets to their now deserted house and hid in the attic. Exhausted, they both fell asleep. Suddenly, Archelous awoke, and to her horror saw a policeman standing over her and her sister with a sword in his hand. He kicked Archelous, who then saw four other police looting her home. Their shouts and noise woke Lucine, who screamed in fear as the men surrounded her. Archelous tried to intervene, but was struck by the men, and as she fell, she saw them tear off Lucine's veil and cloak. Helpless and injured, she watched as the leader of the police laid down his gun and his sword, and took turns with the others, assaulting Lucine. Archelous got to her knees and begged them to stop, pleading, Please, take us to the town square to our family. We will get money for you if you spare us. The police allowed Archelous to leave the house to find her mother, but kept Lucine with them. Archelous eventually found her mother. She gave Archelous two lira, and on her return... The police took the money from Archelous and threw an almost unconscious Lucine out of the house. Eventually the soldiers and police forced all the women and children who had not gathered in the square to leave their homes, and Archelous and Lucine, unable to find their mother, joined the throng of frightened women and children. The police promised they were being taken to a safe place, but this was, of course, a lie. They were forced to begin a long march and as those who were infirm and unable to continue were beaten with clubs by the police, others who fell due to exhaustion were simply left by the roadside to die. We had, yes, if you think, and even we had, we had the donkey with us, two donkeys, and then they took away everything. I had the clothing and all. We had, they came and took it away. And we remained in, the, uh, in one dress, Start. My mother was start to tear up certain things. My leg, uh, feet, bottom of my foot, the skin was wear out. Start bleeding. So she was trying to tie up with uh, from my dress piece of those things, stripped and tied up, and like that way. The first night on the march was traumatic. Archelous would hear crying and screaming from women as the police raped them. 
Archelous resolved that she had no choice but to always stay awake. Each night, as the march was paused, the police got drunk and assaulted the women and girls, over and over again, every single evening. Children were often stolen during the night to be sold to Mohammedan families and rich Ottomans. Archelous and Lucine took turns watching over their sisters and brothers, trying to keep them covered with dirt and bits of clothing so the soldiers wouldn't see them. Day by day, week by week, as the march continued, Archelous came to realize these same horrors were happening everywhere as they passed through towns where every Armenian was dragged from their homes. Ordinary Turkish people also came to the camps late at night. The soldiers sold what little of value the women had brought with them, jewelry, rugs, trinkets, and worse, many of the girls and young women were sold off as slaves. As the marches continued across the deserts, Archelous witnessed unspeakable horrors. The women and girls were brutalized by the soldiers and police constantly. The disgusting torture perpetrated by these men almost indescribable in its savagery. In one of the most horrific scenes she witnessed, she saw young girls raped and then forcefully impaled on pointed crosses, their bodies further desecrated in a revolting act of sexual violence. After walking for many weeks, those who had survived this far reached the Euphrates River. Archelous remembers the enormous and collective relief from many of the Armenians as they realized they were finally able to drink plentiful water. They ran toward the river, eager to drink, and then stopped in horror. There were bodies in the water, thousands of dead Armenian bodies, many dismembered and broken, all floating slowly through the current of the river. The Euphrates had turned into a mass grave. Before we, the desert, there was water that, lake, like something was passing by, Away, I don't know what was what you call that. At that time, I wouldn't be able to tell, but it was big water, and then bodies were coming right into that water. They were floating in the water, floating, and there were arms and there were head cut off, and the legs parts cut of off, bodies. parts of the bodies. Mm -hmm. All the Armenians, they were the Eprat from Harput, Eprat, uh, they call Ep. Euphrates River, mm -hmm. that they call. Probably that was the river that was coming that way to reach to the desert. The you Euphrates know? River. Yeah, what kind? Euphrates River? Yeah, U Euphrates. Mm -hmm. Euphrates River. We call it uh, English Euphrates. Mm -hmm. The prisoners fell to the ground in horror and despair, but were ordered to board a boat to cross the river. As the boat crossed, the soldiers tore young children from their mother's arms and threw them into the river. Archelous's siblings... Sara, Hovan, Matiros and Arusiak were among those flung to their deaths. Only Archelous, Lucine and their mother remained of the entire Mardigian family. What happened to your family? They killed, they killed and, and many after that they killed my, my little baby brother, Hovan, Hovan they called uh, Hovan Ness, short, uh, short Hovan. And then uh, they killed my sister. My little baby sister. My little baby sister. And my other sister. As the march continued, they passed through villages and towns where news of the massacres and deportations had not yet reached. 
Each place they passed through, the soldiers looted the homes and then burned everything down. All Armenian men were killed. The soldiers would then select the women they wanted to rape. One night, Arjalusa's mother was among these women. Returning to the camp, Arjalusa's mother was so brutalised she could not speak. Covered in many cuts and bruises and bleeding from her injuries, she fainted when she found Arjalusa and Lucine. They tended to her wounds as best they could, but still the soldiers and police continued to abuse them. Lucine being targeted by a soldier who pulled her along by her hair. As she fought and screamed, he became enraged and drew his knife, stabbing her and leaving her to die in Archelous's arms. Archelous dug a small grave in the sand and buried her sister, the last sibling she had now gone. She said her goodbyes and began the march onwards again. One night, Archelous was awoken by an approaching noise, getting louder and louder. It sounded like countless horses galloping. She looked up and saw the many Kurds on horseback entering their camp. The Kurds quickly took any valuables still belonging to the Armenians and then dismounted to take their pick of the captive women. Seeing this, Arjalusa's mother panicked and tried to hide her. In desperation, she smeared dirt and mud on Arjalusa's face to try and make her less appealing, but to no avail. One of the Kurds grabbed Arjalusa and tore her veil off, rubbed away the mud on her face and looked closer. Then he tore open her dress and threw her onto his horse. Screaming for her mother, Archelous thought of trying to throw herself under the horse's hooves to be trampled to death, but she could not break free. She screamed until she passed out, waking to find herself violated, clothes torn off and her body aching in pain. Looking around, she realised she was in a different camp with other young Armenian girls. The camp leader returned and ordered all the girls to stand, those who could not rise quickly enough being whipped as they lay on the ground. Kurds came and bartered to buy the young women. But the camp leader did not allow Arjalus to be sold. Instead, he took her and rode for several hours until they arrived at the palatial home of Kurdish warlord Kemal Effendi. Arjalus was put into a small room and Kemal Effendi entered, looked at her and seemed satisfied. They spoke and he asked Arshalus about her family. As she explained what had happened, he questioned whether she would renounce her religion if he was able to find and protect Arshalus's family. She was unhappy about being asked this, but agreed in the hope of finding and being reunited with her mother, silently saying, Please God, forgive me. And so early the next morning, Arshalus and Effendi set out on horseback to search for her mother, as they rode by the banks of a river, she resolved to run, knowing Effendi would keep her captive. So she leapt from the horse and ran, reaching a cliff edge. She looked down and saw that again the river ran red with the blood and bodies of massacred Armenians, but she knew she had no choice other than to jump. Arshalu swam to freedom, but a bitter freedom with her family gone and her mother missing, perhaps dead. She had no choice but to walk alone through the Syrian desert, constantly searching for her mother. Bodies littered the desert as she walked, and eventually, inevitably, she found her mother. Her body, like so many others, left where she fell in the sand. Arshalusa's heart broke. Her immediate family was gone. A parish, that's where I no, just, no, my mother 
My mother was perished, and then they killed right before. I didn't see the body. I found the body. I didn't see right before my eyes. With no choice but to return to walking the desert, Arshalus joined another march, being forced across the lands. By some miracle of fate, she encountered several of her aunts and cousins, and joined them on the road to exile. The burning desert seeming to never end. Countless blackened bodies, half buried in the sand, so common a sight now. They could not remember a time they were not there. And before we reached there, and the sand over the sand was all the dead bodies were turned black like a charcoal, you know. And then no place to sit, made us to sit right on those bodies. We sit on the dead bodies, and terrible, hot. The sand was hot, burning. Just like a scorching red color, like, and the bodies black, all became charcoal, like. As the march wore on, one day two soldiers passed by and recognized Arshalus's aunts. Taking the women to one side, the soldiers, knowing the family had been well off, demanded money. But the women had nothing left; everything having been stolen from them in the month before. Begging for their lives, they told the soldiers they had nothing, but the soldiers simply pulled out their guns and started shooting. Only Arshalus and a cousin, a two-year-old boy, survived. She begged them not to kill the child. They agreed, but not in any act of mercy, rather by simply knowing that they could sell the child. See right before my eyes, but my aunt, my two aunt. Was killed right before my eyes. They tie up my hair, and I said, and then they killed. Please, I said, save them. No, no, that sooner or later you're gonna all you're gonna die. There will be no one single Armenian to leave. We're going to kill all your dogs, all your gavels, and all these kind of words. They were calling and yelling and all, and whipping me, and using this those horse whip. It was so painful and all. The children there all left it, and then they make me to get up and search over on their clothes if they have any uh, gold that I would ha- uh, hand it to them. They hold my head and tie it up, and then make me to look when they were killing, right? All those things. Mm-hmm. I can never forget. They took my my beautiful aunts, my two aunts, three brothers. They my father and two aunts two, that they killed. That my my aunt was my father's sister, yes. and then had killed the children right before my eyes. And then the mother, father, I mean the mother first, and then the children aimed and killed them right before my eyes. I can never make me. Desperate not to lose her cousin, Arshalus found a soldier who had shown some compassion towards her. She offered him two lira to help her and her cousin escape the camp, and he agreed, helping her to leave the camp under cover of darkness one night. But that was all he did. Arshalus had secured their freedom from the camp, but was without food or water, and looking after a weak and frightened two-year-old. After several days of walking, they arrived at a small town. In the midst of all the unspeakable horrors she had endured, Arshalus managed to find a kind Kurdish couple, who were willing to take them into their home. Finally, some form of safety. 
They cared for Archelous and her cousin like their own. And after a few months, Archelous's cousin, now a toddler, was healthy again. One night, she overheard the Kurdish couple discussing news that the Ottoman army was beginning to fracture and fall apart. Archelous felt hope when she heard this. She felt like she must seek out and join any free Armenians that may have survived. But she had to make a choice. Could she leave her young cousin with the Kurdish couple knowing this might be the safest option for him and his future? She contemplated this for hours, but after realising how much the Kurdish couple cared for him, she was decided. She left him with the couple and set off to reach those free Armenians. Archelous began her journey, hiding during daylight, walking at night under cover of darkness. For days she travelled until she reached a monastery. Upon opening the door and entering, she saw, to her joy, scores of Armenian refugees. Walking inside, she felt a huge sense of belonging again, of being back among her people. She could smile again, at last. For two weeks, they remained safe in the monastery until one night, when everyone was awoken by shouting at the doors. There were Chechen bandits, notorious for their collusion with the Ottomans, outside and demanding entry. The monks tried their best to barricade themselves inside the chapel, but it was no use. The chapel doors were only made out of wood, and gave way easily when the bandits rushed against them. Archelous and her new friend Arusiag knew there would be no escape as the bandits broke in. As the Armenians begged for mercy, the bandits killed the monks who had given the refugees shelter, and rounded up the women and girls, yet again taking who they wanted, treating it like a game as they argued over who was to take which girl. In the end... The bandits killed any they considered not attractive enough. Of the many Armenian refugees who had sought shelter in the monastery, only 27 were spared. Arusiag was not among them. The Chechen bandits took the girls to yet another prison camp, as chaotic and dangerous as all the others Archelous had been in. Daily, the girls there were brutalised. One day... Archelous, running away from a soldier, passed through a room and saw a knife that had been left behind. She took it and hid the knife in her clothes. It was the first time she held a weapon since she was taken from her home. The soldier cornered her in another room. He tried to pin Archelous's arms down, but she pulled out the knife. To quote Archelous, I know God guided my hand, for I am sure I killed him. He fell at my feet. She ran and reached the street without being seen. Looking in every direction, she saw no one except a lone Turkish woman who spotted her too. Thinking she would be caught again, Arshalus gripped her knife and prepared herself. But the Turkish woman stepped back and motioned for Arshalus to follow her. Trusting the woman, Arshalus followed her into the courtyard. Closing the gate, the Turkish woman hugged her tightly. She explained she was sorry for the terrible treatment of the Armenians and promised Archelous she would help her. She brought food and let her hide in the courtyard and that night she gave Archelous three lira and kissed her goodbye, telling her, Go out by the north gate, not by the south gate. All the refugees who are taken around by the south gate are killed. Those who are camped beyond the north gate may live. 
but do not join them while it is still night, or you may be caught in a massacre. Hide among the rocks in the Karaja hills a mile from the city. If the Armenians are allowed to pass these rocks when they are taken away, it means they will be allowed to live through another stage of their journey. Doing as the Turkish woman said, Arshalus reached the north gate without being stopped. Soldiers guarded the gate, but she managed to run and follow the directions the Turkish woman had given her. She hid among the rocks that night, and in the morning, Arshalus thought she would walk along the road where she wouldn't be seen. But she caught sight of a group of police on the road, and in her shock she screamed, drawing their attention. Knowing what fate lay ahead, she drew her knife and resolved to kill herself so she wouldn't be sold again, and prayed to God, asking for strength and guidance. Dear God, tell me, shall I come now to you, or wait until you call? Arshalus got her answer. She threw the knife away and stood up, resigned to her fate. The police sent her back to the camp, where she was put up for sale yet again. Archelous was sold to a wealthy governor from her home province, but managed to escape almost immediately and decided now to head back to her home in Chemsgadzak. And uh, when they sold the auction, and then they brought me out of the auction market, then brought me to some other state, and then again they came and captured, and then other tribe, other Armenians, from Mush, from... Uh, uh, from uh, what is the other states? I forget the names now. Mush, uh, 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 Sasun, Sasun, and all those places that they were exiled. And then we got mixed with them and then escaped that way uh, through. And then they captured again. And then uh, this time I run away and went and hide myself into the cave where all the lions, all the, the animals could live. I said, I don't care, let the animals to beat me up, eat me, and torn me to pieces, but I will not be Muhammad. I uh, screamed and cried, and I went in there and hide myself. Many other times, I hide myself under the stack of hay, stack of, uh, of, of uh, wheat stack, under, underneath the, those things. And so I uh, will, that's the way I got escaped. Time to time, different, different areas, different way of escaping. And that's that. Arriving home at last, a year after they had been forced to leave, she searched for the gun she knew her father had kept there. Finding it, she was about to leave when she saw a family photograph. Seeing her oldest brother Vahan's face, she wondered if he could have any idea what was going on in Armenia. As she was leaving... A familiar voice called out to her. It was the same shepherd that had warned her family of the war over a year ago. He had news. Her uncle Gazar was still alive and hidden in the mountains with a group of Armenian refugees. They were being sheltered by a group of Kurds who used the Armenians as slaves in exchange for letting them stay. Arshalus made her way to join this group and to her joy found her uncle but he was exhausted, weak and unwell. She nursed him as she stayed there, working in the fields, and her uncle told her incredible tales of America, where you could live as a free Armenian in safety. Perhaps it was at this moment that the seed of an idea was planted in Arshalusa's mind, 
for she resolved to move on and continue her journey, leaving her father's gun with her uncle for his future protection. She, along with six others, decided to travel to Yezenka. As always, they walked at night and hid during the day. Coming across a Kurd named Ale Dede, he offered his help, knowing that they would need to cross a river on their route, and told them he would arrange for his relatives to come with their horses and help with their safe passage. Trusting this man, they did indeed meet with his relatives who came with their horses, gave them food and promised that they would help them reach Yezzenka. Kindness after so long. And then a Kurd came from the mountain while I was during the time in the, in the Turkish house. And a Kurd came and said, uh, uh, I would like to make himself believe that he is married one my sister and then living in a mountain. And then I came to rescue me as a sister-in-law, you know, fooled himself. Uh, to the Turks, and then came and they gave me a piece of letter, writing on the piece of paper. Says, don't be scared, just try to escape and come out. And we, and uh, this Kurd went out, and he shall wait for me in such and such a places. And then I did. So, and I got escaped and I ran, and then this time this Kurd had took me, brought me to the mountain. That was my last place to escape. And I went to the mountain and stayed there for about 18 months. The relatives took Arshalus and the others on their horses and began to cross the river's water. Freedom was finally in reach. They reached a canyon in Yezenka and spotted some Russian soldiers. The Russian forces had advanced into Ottoman territory in an effort to gain control of strategic territory. Arshalus knew a little Russian and spoke to the soldiers who told her not to be afraid and invited the Armenians to join them as they travelled to Yezenka. After so many months, so much horror, so much loss, Arshalus settled in this town and volunteered to help a man called Professor Lulagian, who had dedicated himself to caring for Armenian orphans and those women freed from slavery and enforced marriages. Arshalus offered to help the women recover their agency and identities. The professor gave Arshalus pencils and paper, and she wrote down all the women's names, where they were from, what happened to them, and their stories. Many of the women couldn't even remember their names, so Arshalus would give them new ones. Even as she endured her own trauma, she worked to help those who suffered as she had. One day, Arshalus received a letter from her uncle. Reading the letter, she grew more and more elated and felt her heart leap. She was going to America. Her uncle had arranged passage to New York. American missionaries would provide her with the necessary travel documents. There was only one more thing left to do. Pack her bags. Arshalus left for Tiffils known today as Tbilisi. Upon arrival, she met with the Armenian commander, Andranik Ozanian, where he gave her orders to travel to America and bear witness to the world what the Armenians had endured. It was 1917. After two years of unimaginable horrors, Arshalus was about to begin the next chapter of her life. For a slight moment... There's some relief. 
Archelous finally escaped and arrived in the United States. But her story doesn't end there. Um, but maybe it wasn't so crazy when you think that, you know, she was a star. It's true. Uh, when you think about it, it does seem to be exploitative. My guess is that it wasn't unusual and that she wasn't singled out, that women in general who didn't have a lot of power, and she was essentially powerless. This episode was produced by me, Maxim Saikian, and sound designed by Olivia Malconian. Thank you for listening to Uncovering Roots, and we'll see you in the next episode.